Hello and welcome to the Engineer Your Success Leadership and Life Harmony Like a Mother show. I'm your host, Kini Romanovska, award-winning journalist turned maternity leave and working motherhood strategist and CEO at Pros and Babes. Being a new mom and working mom can be hard. And we believe you should never be alone with the overwhelm of figuring out work-life balance on your own. So this is the place where you, successful mom with small kids, working in competitive corporate careers or STEM fields, come to redefine your priorities and values after having kids. Find work-life balance, make sure you're on the same team with your partner in career and family, and find belonging in an outstanding community of fellow moms so that you can create a clear path forward and you're never alone with a crushing overwhelm, isolation, or fears about balancing life and work after kids again. Get ready to engineer your personal and professional success and find life harmony without compromising family happiness or health. Did you know that women tend to lose up to a million dollars over a lifetime compared to men because caregiving duties impact our career and financial outcomes? And that 40% of women feel so unsupported after maternity leave, they feel like quitting. We're here to change that. It doesn't matter if you're pregnant on maternity leave or a working mom. If you love your career and want to build a life that helps you build success in personal and professional life on your terms, you're in the right place. Now let's get started. Hello, and welcome to the Engineer Your Success Leadership and Life Harmony Like a Mother show. I'm your host, Kenya Romanovska, award-winning journalist turned maternity leave and working motherhood strategist and CEO of Pros and Babes. Being a new mom or working mom can be hard, although our guest today will talk to us about how we may be conditioning ourselves to think that life can and is hard. So we'll perhaps debunk that myth. But regardless, we believe you should never be alone with the overwhelm of figuring out work-life harmony on your own. So this is the place where you, successful moms with small kids working in competitive corporate careers or STEM fields, come to redefine your priorities after having kids, find work-life harmony, make sure you're on the same team with your partner and career and family, and find belonging in an outstanding community of fellow moms so that you can create a clear path forward and never feel alone with that crushing overwhelm, isolation, or fear about balancing life and work after kids again. So we bring you the best tips, guest experts, and interviews to engineer your personal and professional success without compromising family happiness or health, which is so important to you now that you have kids more than ever. Did you know that women tend to lose up to a million dollars over a lifetime compared to men because caregiving duties impact our career outcomes and trajectories? And that 40% of women feel so unsupported after maternity leave, they feel like quitting. It's called the motherhood penalty. And we're here to change that. Let's make sure motherhood is your greatest advantage and joy. It doesn't matter if you're pregnant, on maternity leave, or a working mom. If you love your career and want to build a life that helps you build success in personal and professional life on your terms, you're in the right place. And let's get started today with our guest, Deborah Fryer, who helps creative spiritual entrepreneurs who are frustrated with overworking and under-earning break through subconscious money blocks, self-sabotage, and self-imposter syndrome, sorry, imposter syndrome, using a proven anatomy of money system so they can create sustainable soul aligned six and six and seven figure business breakthroughs. Now you may wonder how does that apply to me as a mom? Maybe you're not a business owner. However, at pros and babes, we love using business strategies and principles to help you become the CEO of your life. So stay tuned with us 
today, Deborah has a wealth of knowledge and experience to help you think about the stories you have about money. If you're working in a male-dominated field, there's a good chance you have not asked for the money you deserve to receive. And so we're going to be exploring some of those money stories and money blocks, and especially the ideas you have about putting everyone else's needs first before yours. As a mom, we're so good at doing that. So let's reclaim some of that space. Let's welcome Deborah. Deborah, you talk about you know, bodies having a specific blueprint that dictate how much money you feel comfortable earning, spending, saving, and contributing. So let's dive into that. I introduced you, but is there anything more you would like our audience to know about you before we start? You have a PhD, you studied anatomy, you have this fascinating background that led you to do what you do. So tell us about that and then about the blueprint. Oh my gosh, what an amazing introduction. And I had chills when you were describing how women are, are penalized for being mothers. And this is actually one of the foundational things about the anatomy of money, which is something that uh, fell into my awareness during meditation. And it fell into my awareness during meditation because I was feeling like I was under earning. I was feeling like I am a very high performer. I have multiple degrees in higher education and I couldn't figure out how I had fallen through the cracks. And what the anatomy of money system shows us is how internally, not only do we have a money set point, which we can talk about today, but we also have a set point for how much ease we allow ourselves to receive. We have a set point for how much we allow ourselves to prioritize ourselves. And this has everything to do with being a mother. This has everything to do with being a daughter. This has everything to do with what you've learned as a woman in relation to your family of origin. How do you fit in with your mom? How do you fit in with your dad? What have you learned about being a woman from your mother? What have you learned about being a breadwinner from your father? And I know these sound very um, sexist, these descriptions, right? Being a mother is the woman's role and being a breadwinner is the father's role. And this is one of the things that I am here to disrupt and to provoke and to help you think differently about because motherhood is undervalued in our culture. And I work with men who are stay-at-home mothers. I work with men who are freelance artists and writers and filmmakers and healers and coaches and consultants. And because they're working at home, they are feeling the same squeeze of how do I validate myself when I'm taking care of my kids? And I, and I feel so strongly about this. So I'm really excited to have this conversation because we have inner work to do that has to do with reclaiming and reparenting the inner child within so that we can do the healing work, the, the teaching, the serving, the uplifting that we're here to do in the outer world. Wow, I feel like we could have 10 podcast episodes based on what you just described right now. We do talk about in our community about the relationship between mother and daughter, and we talk about how we were parented, what we want to keep, and how we want to create a vision for the future that's really ours, right? Aligned with our soul, aligned with our values, aligned with our creative power. So I see a lot of overlap there. Now, where to start truly when we think about 
thinking about the, the women who are in my community right now, so many of them have boys, a few of them have girls, but we kind of have a lot of boy moms in our community. So that's interesting as we, as we think about the roles we're writing, but where do we start, Deborah, when it comes to, let's start with receiving, you know, well, let's start with receiving when you, when you become a mom, you give life, right? And you give life from a place of two that may have experienced suffering. Many women, I realize, and we can dive into that today, have experienced miscarriages before having their family. So you can speak to that today. But why can it feel so hard <laughs> to receive as a mom? We're used to being a boss at work, achieving, worked so hard for those degrees. I know that in the case of engineers, they worked so hard. Sometimes they were the only woman in the room when their bellies start growing they start feeling devalued at work. All of a sudden, they're not an, just an engineer anymore or an engineer. They become a female engineer going on maternity leave. So they're being taken away from those projects and you've poured your heart and soul, not counting the hours. And all of a sudden you're giving life, but you're starting to feel devalued. So that dynamic of being appreciated, being valued, boom. So mm -hmm. why is it so hard to receive help as a mom? So many moms refuse help from, from their surroundings. They put everybody first and they forget about their own needs. This is a great question. And the, the word that just dropped in is uh, because of perfectionism. And perfectionism happens when we are teeny, teeny, teeny. And we learn if we say this, we receive love. If we say that, we don't receive love. If we make certain noises, we get cooed and goo goo gaga over. And if we make other certain noises, we receive a different kind of response. And we learn at a very, very, very young age, at a pre-verbal age. In fact, we learn this energetically and chemically as we are developing in utero because we're bathing literally in the chemistry of our mothers. So if our mothers are running brain chemistry of stress, of anxiety, um, of frustration, of sadness. We're swimming in the chemistry of those emotional fields. And, and any emotion is a chemical a vibration. It's a chemical field that is moving through the body. So if the mother is very stressed out or very anxious, there's going to be a lot of cortisol and a lot of adrenaline. And we begin to get accustomed to uh, and addicted to that particular feeling of brain chemistry. Then we come out into the world and the mom is really stressed out about something. She's very anxious. She's worried about parenting incorrectly. She's doing it wrong, whatever, whatever it is. Uh, or maybe she's a single mom and she's feeling like she doesn't have the support or maybe, you know, she and, and her partner are fighting. So she feels unsupported and it, plus it's stressful to, to grow another human and to worry that you're doing it right. But anyway, so what, what we learn when we're little teeny weenies is if I don't receive the support that I want, if I'm not hugged when I need it, if I'm not fed when I need it, if I'm not cuddled when I need it, for whatever reason, every mother is doing the best that she can. But when we're little, we're just needy with a capital N. We're needy, we're, we're completely powerless to take care of ourselves and we need someone else to do it. So when someone doesn't show up on our schedule because we're super needy and it's all about me because right, I'm, I'm helpless and I need you to take care of me and feed me and change my diaper and, and hug me and sing to me and rock me to make me feel safe in the world. This is a safety issue. 
So if somebody's not available, we begin to jump to conclusions of, oh, it's not safe for me to fill in the blank. So it might be, it's not safe for me to cry. If I cry, I see that my mother gets upset and, and I understand that I've disturbed her and, and her you know, levity means everything to me. Her love means everything to me. Therefore, I'm gonna learn not to cry so that I receive her love. Another person might learn, if I cry, she immediately runs to me and she loves on me. So crying gets me love. Either way, we learn something about that. So fast forward, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, you now have learned to behave in certain ways so that you get love. This is what I'm talking about with perfectionism. And if I've learned that I won't get my needs met if I, if I cry or if I get mad or if I am too loud or if I'm too demanding, I won't get my needs met. It's totally unconscious. But what we learn to do is I'm just going to use my big, beautiful brain and I'm going to figure out how to take care of myself. I'm going to be the smartest person in the room and then I'm going to get rewarded. I'm going to know everything and then people are going to love me. We mistake no air quote, knowing everything, we, we mistake our smartness for love. And, you know, I can certainly raise my hand to this. When I was a, a little, little girl, I said something and somebody said, you're such a smart ass. And, I, and it was, I knew that it wasn't good. I knew that I was somehow being punished for being smart. And at the same time, I also got information when I came home with a hundred on a test, you're so smart, you're so smart, you're so smart, as though good girl, you're so smart. So I associated my smartness, my intelligence with being good and me not knowing everything with being bad. So if I got a 99 on a test, how come you missed one? What's the one you missed? Why didn't you get that right? You know, even if I got 104 and there was 105 and I missed one point of extra credit, how come you missed that? What did you get wrong? What did you miss? And we've grown up in a culture of lack. Like we've all grown up in a culture of lack. And so how do we overcome what neuroscientists call a negativity bias, this belief that, that we're lacking something, you know, you just spoke to it, you're, the minute that you're pregnant. I mean, it's the most amazing, miraculous thing that you're doing. And what gets projected onto you? Oh, you're going you're gonna to abandon us, right? That's other people's crap they're projecting onto you, right? You, now you have to carry their abandonment. And you've learned to do that since you were a teeny weeny because we've all grown up in this environment of lack. Does that make sense? Yes, and the first thing that comes to my mind, there's so much good stuff there, is how do we big brain smart women use this information in a positive way? I, I would see my brain jumping to the conclusion and throwing guilt on myself. Oh my gosh, now I have to become this meditation expert when I'm pregnant, or I have to be this calm person because otherwise I'm going to ruin my kids for life. And mm. maybe they bathe in cortisol when I was pregnant because I was stressed with work. And so now, you know, the pattern will continue with every generation. So how can we use the information that you gave us 
in a positive way, not in a way to induce more guilt on ourselves that I was in this super calm Zen mama during my pregnancy while I was trying to juggle work and being pregnant and my medical appointments, but take the information that you gave us as a gateway to more joy and peace and hope for our families. Well, so the first thing is that we are always a work in progress and every single one of us is a, is a work in progress. So you're also speaking into some part of our conditioning that I would just love to wave a magic wand over and dissolve, which is that I'm going to ruin you. You know, it is this codependent misperception that I'm responsible for you and your outcome is uh, something that really damages a lot of women. And the way that it shows up as grownups is I'm afraid you're going to be disappointed with me. So I'm going to contort myself so that you're not disappointed with me as if I control your disappointment. You're going to be disappointed because you're going to be disappointed regardless of if I'm an A plus team member, or if I go on vacation for two weeks. Your disappointment is yours. Your anger is yours. Your response to me is yours. But we have not been conditioned. We have not been taught to stand in our power. And I own my emotional state. I own my decisions and you own yours. Now it's a little bit different when you're a mom uh, and you're growing a little baby inside of you because you are creating the environment. You are creating the environment. So this is why, you know, there's a lot of research out there about, you know, what's healthy for your baby. We know a lot about fetal alcohol syndrome. We know a lot about babies that grow up from, you know, drug addicted mothers. And so you do have a responsibility. You have a beautiful, wonderful, magical, magnificent, amazing, amazing opportunity to create an environment. And every single one of us is doing this at every single moment with ourselves, with each other. So, you know, if you were stressed out as a mom, great. You're taking your kids on vacation. You can learn now. You can teach your kids now. And it's not that stress is bad. We know neurologically there are two kinds of stress. There's distress, which feels like anxiety and dis-ease and uh, and disempowerment and, and fear. And there's something called eustress, EU stress, which is, you know, the stress that you feel when you're running a marathon, the stress that you feel when you're in flow and, and you're super creative and things are just popping. You know, when you're in the moment, stress is part of what allows us to be here on the planet. We call it pressure, right? So stress isn't bad. It's the story that we're telling ourselves about ourselves when we're experiencing it that creates what we call distress or eustress. Your body actually can't tell the difference chemically between you having a surge of adrenaline because you're afraid somebody's gonna judge you or you're having a surge of adrenaline because you just got a brilliant idea and it's so out of the box and it's so brilliant. You, you know, you're just running with it. You're running either way, but it's going to, you're going to interpret it differently, even though chemically it's the same. Okay. So to summarize how my brain is processing this information, I think there are three places in which we can somewhat live. We can live in the past and our past patterns. And you explored that to some extent, talking about what we pick up in our childhood, right? Mm -hmm. From our parents, the conditioning and, and the environment we're exposed to, then we can obviously live in the present by being mindful, noticing what's happening, enjoying all the wealth and joy and being grateful for what is now. And then there is the creative process of 
a vision, the creative forces, right? That envisioning something new and giving birth to new life or creative projects or results, right? Or a new bridge or a new road, all of that. So we talked about the past and I love working with therapists. I always encourage people to do that so we can explore the past. We also can practice meditation to live in the present. And then there's the creation of the future. And that's where I love to play the most. And I encourage moms to understand the process of matrescence, how their values and their priorities have changed. We look at the, all the pillars of their life, their health, their wealth, their relationship with their spouse, their parenting. And then we get creative and we think, well, what do you want to be? We vision cast into 25 years down the road and we help them imagine themselves on a beach with their kids, grown up kids. And then we think about what are your kids going to say about you, right? And so this is such a creative moment that helps you put the essentials at the forefront. So to summarize, you know, we talked about the past we can dive into the present and then we can also talk about the future and the creative forces that just to put things into context, right? We have the power to shape our kids' lives. We can shape ours. Now let's talk about creativity. Let's talk about what's in our power. So we, if we understand these dynamics that shaped us, let's assume we've worked through them. Let's assume that we've made peace, that we've forgiven, that we've released because that's a whole process that we're now committed to creating, to recreating our anatomy we want to script a new future. We want to tap ourselves into a, a new story, new beliefs. We want to, you know, have a blank page. So let's dive into the present and the future. What can you tell us about those stories that we, we have had? And then what do we do with them if we want to create a new process for ourselves and new outcomes? Because ultimately you talk about having breakthroughs and getting out of that cycle of overworking and being underpaid. So let's explore that. Let's, let's dive in. We're love it. Because there's so much to cover. <laughs> yeah. It's, and, I, and I love that you're bringing in the past and the present, present and the future. They're all existing at the same time. And it's also true that nothing exists except the present. Now, here's what I mean by that. Let's say you want a raise. Let's say you know you deserve a raise. Let's say you've been in the same job, you've had the same salary for the last six years, last 10 years, you're at the top of your game, you are revolutionary, you're making a lot of money for the company, you're an amazing team leader, and you know you deserve a raise. And every time you think about having to go have that conversation, your stomach ties itself into a knot. So there's your conscious mind in the present moment thinking, it's actually, in, it's thinking in the future, I want a raise. You haven't gotten the raise yet. So you've got the idea, I want a raise, but that raise hasn't happened yet, so it's in the future. And you've got a pit in your stomach. Why? Because your stomach tied itself into a knot because of something that happened to you in the past that you might not even be aware of. It might be somebody said, you don't deserve that. It might be, there are people starving in, you know, India, but like, who are you to make 200, 300,000 a year, half a million a year? Who are you to make that kind of a money when there are people all over the world who are living on less than $2 a day? Or maybe uh, when you were a little kid, you made babysitting money, you grew up in poverty, and you made money babysitting, and your parents, your mom, needed the money that you made from babysitting to buy you and your siblings food. And so your mom took your babysitting money, and when you were a little kid, you were like, hey, that was my money, and you took it. And you're sure that if you make more money, somebody's going to take it from you. 
Or maybe you've got an example, a story in your past where you had a parent who worked really, 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 really hard and made great money and, and then he dropped out of a heart attack when you were a little kid. And so you've got this subconscious belief, if I work really, really hard and I make that kind of money, I'm going to die of a heart attack and then I won't be here for my kids. I mean, these are the kinds of things that I hear that I help clear with my clients where they recognize there's something going on in my past that's blocking me in my future because those, those two things are colliding in you. How do you know? Because the minute that you have a thought about something in the future, that's an expansive thought. Your body goes into contraction, which is a thought in the past. And we feel it throughout the body, and it is related to a very specific way of showing up in your business, which is what the anatomy of money is about. So let's say your stomach ties itself in a knot. That always has to do with receiving. So we're circling back to how we started this interview. When you think about making more money, when you think about having more free time, when you think about giving yourself some self-compassion so you have the freedom to say, not right now, honey. Just let that land. Like my whole body gets truth bumps when I say that to myself. And it's going to show up as you driving yourself. Go, 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 go. Not even stepping away to pee. You know, how many times have you stayed at your desk or, or continued, you know, driving somewhere because you had to get somewhere and you really had to pee and you don't even give yourself permission to honor your body? I know that that happens to me. You know, that's part of our conditioning. And when we can unhook from the need to constantly perform so that somebody will think X about us, so that somebody will like us, you're unconsciously living in the future, right? As if you can predict how they're going to receive you. If you contort yourself in a particular way, if you act in a particular way so that they're going to like you, you're trying to control the future. And your body's tying itself into a knot. Maybe you're feeling panic. Maybe your back hurts. Maybe you feel like you're going to throw up. Maybe you have a headache. Your body's showing you information from the past while you're thinking about the future. So that's one thing that I just want to put out there so that you can realize, wow, I'm listening to two stations at the same time. You can't be listening to two stations at the same time. That's called static. It's called frustration. So how do you tune into the now station? So the now station, if you don't bring your past into it, it's like your past doesn't exist. Now, this is a very triggering thing that I just said for a lot of people, especially if they've experienced abuse if they've experienced verbal abuse or financial trauma or sexual abuse, it can be very triggering to say your past doesn't exist. And I'm not saying it never happened. What I'm saying is it's possible to allow your experiences to be the rocks in the river. In other words, they're part of your growth path. Everything was here to support you. Everything has always been here supporting you to show you that you're bigger than that. You're more powerful than that. The experiences are here to 
uplift you so that rather than the obstacle looking like a big mountain and you are the tiny one and the obstacle is huge, you can shrink effectively the obstacle so it's like a little anthill and you grow like Alice in Wonderland so that you can step over it. And I think this is what you're talking about with future casting. And the thing about the future that I love, I'll just say one more thing and then let's have the conversation, then you can respond. The, the future hasn't happened yet, which puts you in the all powerful position of you are creating it right now. So rather than you thinking, I'm over here in San Francisco and I'm driving to Boston. And rather than you starting in San Francisco, Put yourself in Boston now. We do this all the time when we're planning a vacation, right? I'm going to go to Paris. And now I start looking at Croissant and the Eiffel Tower and Louvre. And I imagine myself in Notre Dame and I, and I start listening to French. And, you know, I just put myself there. I put myself in the feeling of it and in the sense of it. And I put myself there and I start doing things as if I were already there. I start drinking Café au lait already. I start practicing French already. I start listening to French television already, right? And so you can actually bring the future to you rather than you having to go to the future because we're already in the future, right? We're already, you know, a few minutes into the podcast. So we've already lived into the future. So you start becoming now, you become now your future self. And that requires that you stop acting like the old version of you. It requires that you stop believing the old version of you of, I can't ask for a raise. Yeah, I can. Why not? You know, as a woman, 80% of the money rolling through the economy, economy is rolling through your hands because you make 80% of the buying decisions. We don't have a wealth problem in the world. We have a distribution problem. So why not you be part of the solution to that? You know, they're saying that by 2030, 50%, more than 50% of the wealth will be controlled by women. Amen, right? So just see yourself as, you know, we're so powerful. We're so powerful because life comes through us. It's funny that you talk about the distribution because one of the exercises we do with the women and as part of the vision casting I encourage them to write down how much money they should they want to have in their bank accounts the resistance to that is enormous I know I make them write a number and then I say quintuple it quadruple it write something that makes you feel really uncomfortable and for some of them it takes months and months and months and that was my general argument in the beginning is you know, if you have wealth, you can also contribute to the distribution in ways that yeah. aligns with your value. So give yourself the chance to dream, to open to that. Yeah. Why that resistance, Deborah? Why that enormous resistance? And how can I encourage the women? I mean, eventually they do, but how can I speed up the process for them to let themselves even dream about what it would look like to have wealth and the service of good and what they value, right? And that's one of the reasons I do love working with engineers. Not only, I talk about engineers a lot these days because I've had many interactions, but we say engineers build the world. So if we have more female engineers, I, I would hope that we have a world that's built to be more female friendly and the design of objects and environments and our children. So how can we speed up that process? I love, I love your question. I do a similar exercise. Um, and here's, 
how I reverse engineer it. And I love also that you're bringing about engineering because you know, when I just said, put yourself in the future first and become that, this is a code for let's reverse engineer it, right? Let's see the building first. Let's see the windows. Let's see the environment. Let's see the built environment. Let's see what it looks like on the inside. Let's look at the terrain of the land. And we're going to design the building for there. And we start with um, you know, what's it going to look like? What's it going to feel like? What's the air quality going to be like? Are there going to be plants? What's the art going to be like? Are there going to be parks? What are the hallways like? You know, is it glass? Is it open? What's the furniture like? What's the food like? You know, we design everything before it physically exists, right? We design it first in the non-physical. And this is how you change anything, is you first design it in the non-physical, and then you design it in the physical. So we do we do that. We design the building in the non-physical, and then we reverse engineer. Okay, what's it going to take for us to build that in the physical? So here's how I do it with money. I, I start with the same thing. You know, what's your income goal? How much money do you want to make? And they and you know all my clients will start out with, well, you know, I'd be happy with. And the minute they say, well, you know that they're wheels are turning of what do I think I can get away with? Am I asking too much? Well, I better not ask too much. I better not be too much. I can't make more than my husband. I can't make more than my boss. Am I really that good? Do I need another degree? You can totally see their wheels turning. So I ask him how much, how much do they want? And then I ask again, okay, how much do you really want? Not what you think you can get away with. Not what you think society will approve of you for making. But what do you really want that lets you live the kind of life that's easeful, where you can have the kind of clothes you want, you can have a housekeeper if you want, you can have a gardener if you want, you can do your own gardening if you want, you know, you can work fewer hours and spend more time in the garden and more time with your kids if you want. You, you can go out to dinner, you can take your family to a lovely vacation, and maybe that means camping. You know, it doesn't have to be a five-star hotel, but I want you to get really, really clear on what you want that would just be the most amazing life for you personally and professionally, for you to be the model for your kids or your family or your community or your clients, for you, you to do the most good that you can do while you're here in this body on earth. What would that really look like? So now their number starts to creep up a little bit. So now they have a number. So then I have them say, okay, just imagine you saying out loud, I totally deserve to make this amount of money. And if you just imagine that, can you feel some sensation already happening in your body? Can you? I'm not putting you on the spot. I'm just asking you, Kenya. Can you, when you imagine your number, can you imagine, do you feel anything in your body? There is some, there could be some resistance because as you mentioned, I've had somebody work really hard in my life and then die prematurely, right? Yeah. And I come from a country that was plundered and expropriated. And so my family had land and then it was taken away. Right. And so I think what's the point, right? Right. To some extent, it's, there, there's more complexity to it. I let myself dream, but there are these narratives and yeah. 
and and I have my own limitations around money and wealth, right? Where I create channels to to do it. But yes, there's there's a certain resistance. Yeah. Yeah. So you feel something and the resistance feels like something. So it's going to feel somewhere in your body, the heart, the solar plexus, the throat, the shoulders, the head. So, uh, you know, without putting you on the spot and all of you who are listening, just start noticing where do you feel something in your body? You're going to start feeling something in your body. If you're super analytical, brainy, brilliant engineering, going to figure everything out, you might not even have access to being able to describe the sensation yet. And that's okay. You know, then, then you're just going to notice that you live in your head and it's, and it's actually hard for you to get into your body because it doesn't feel safe to be in the body. That's okay. You know, to have the fullness, the wholeness of life requires that you fully live in your body. So it's just a beginning place for you to notice. So I ask you, what's the amount of money? Then you allow yourself to receive a little bit more. Now I'm going to make it even more challenging for your nervous system. How many hours a week do you want to work for that amount of money? So most people, they start to freak out a little bit and they're like, well, I probably have to work. Hmm. Okay. For, I want to work 40 hours a week for that amount of money. Okay, great. Now just play along with me. You're all doing this in the privacy of your own mind, but you're having a felt experience in your body. I know you are, because I've done this with thousands of people and I have x-ray vision (laughs) in how energy works. So I know that you're having an experience. So you've got the number for how much money you want to have, where you can go on vacation. You can buy a second home if you want. You're filling out your investment portfolio. You're taking care of your family. You're contributing to causes you care about. You're getting massages every week. You're eating organic food. Whatever the stuff is, that you're like, I can't afford it. No, you can afford anything you want. You can have anything you want and you don't have to feel guilty about it and you don't have to apologize for it, okay? It's okay for you to have money. It's okay for you to be a woman, raising children, being in a relationship or not, having a lovely home, having someone help you take care of things around the home. So you're not doing everything. One of the things that mothers, women have been conditioned to believe we have to do is I have to do everything. I have to like be A plus at work. I have to be A plus in the kitchen. I have to be A plus in the house. I have to be A plus in the laundry. I have to be A plus in bed. We're like, right? There's nobody like, we're not allowed to not be perfect at everything. So this is just an exercise in your imagination. So you're saying I'm making this enormous amount of money, which just feels insane and also amazing. And now you're saying, how many hours do I want to work for it? Now, I want you to double it. I want you to double it. I want you to imagine hours or the money. Well, there you go. That's exactly where people's minds go. That's exactly where people's minds go. They think if I make twice the amount of money, then I'm going to have to work twice as hard. That's our conditioning. And when I want you to consider is that you can make twice the amount of money and not work twice as hard. In fact, you can make twice the amount of money and work the same or less. That's a huge, huge taboo. We think you're supposed to work really, 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 really hard to make a lot of money. And that's the masculine way of conditioning. And this is not a slam on 
men, I'm talking about the energy of the masculine, the, the rigidity, the structure, which is how we've been conditioned to think. And it's how engineers think because engineers build things. So we're very structure oriented. And there's a difference between rigidity, which we perceive as structure and stability, which we also perceive as structure. Rigidity is the masculine, it's the bones in the body, it's the bones of the building, right? It's the rebar, it's the concrete foundation, it's what gives it its upright structure. Stability, on the other hand, is the divine feminine. It's the flexibility, it's the ability to flow. And so we get caught unconsciously in this all masculine energy paradigm of rigidity, which actually is not sustainable, right? If you're designing a building and you want to earthquake proof it, it's got to have some give in it, doesn't it? And this is true in our businesses. This is true in how we run our lives, that we want both structure and stability. And stability comes from softness. Stability comes from the ability to flow. It comes from gentleness. So when you think about your number and you immediately go to, I'm gonna to have to work 80 hours a week to make that kind of money, you blow a fuse. You're like, well, I don't wanna work 80 hours a week. Therefore, I don't want the money. And we get locked into this belief that they're tracking together. They're not. So ready for the next piece of this? Let's do it. Okay. So you've got your money goal. And I hope it's a really audacious goal because you deserve it. I hope that it's a really big goal because you deserve to live a fully expressed life that allows you to express all of you. And that also allows you to teach your children that it's safe for them to express fully who they are as little beings, each of them on their own soul path. It's big work. So ask yourself, when I'm finally making that amount of money, I'll finally feel what? There's my meditation bell. It chimes at random times, reminding me to be present. So when you're finally making that amount of money, what will you get to feel? And my clients say things like, I'll finally feel safe. I'll finally feel secure. I'll finally feel like I can relax. I'll finally feel confident. I'll finally feel like I'm enough. These are the kinds of things that people admit they'll finally feel when they have a lot of money or whatever the number is. And then I ask another question. What will you know about yourself? What will you learn about yourself when you're finally earning at this level? I'll finally know that I'm good enough. I'll finally know that I matter. I'll finally know that my contribution is valuable. And I have truth bumps right now. 
even though I've done this process thousands of times because I'm feeling the truthiness of this. And then I'll ask, to whom are you wanting to prove something? This is kind of a punch to the gut. And then we realize, oh, I'll finally prove to my dad who told me I'd never make any money being an artist, that I'm making great money as an artist. I'm finally proving to my sister who bullied me that I'm just as deserving as she is. You know, we get really deep. I'll finally prove to myself that I matter. I'll finally prove to myself that I'm worth it. I'll finally prove to myself that I deserve it. Is this ringing any bells for you? Is this resonating? That's absolutely really interesting and makes me think of conversations that I've been, I've been having. I know that there are people who may have a lot of money, but they don't feel safe. Right. So, and you're just, you're tracking right with your, your, I'm saying stuff up here in the, in the conscious level, and you're tracking exactly on where we're going in the subconscious level. So you're spot on. We've given our power away to money. We're saying when I have money, then I'll feel X, Y, Z. When I have money, then I'll know this about myself. I'll discover this thing about myself. And we've unconsciously projected all of our needs for validation onto money as though money has power over us. And I want us to reclaim our inherent intrinsic power because we are because we're already deserving and to go directly to meeting our needs. So what conditions do you need to create for yourself internally so that you feel safe? What conditions do you need to create internally for yourself so that you know you matter? What conditions internally do you create so that you know you're worthy? And when we can begin to self-validate, to self-affirm, we can get our needs met immediately without needing to have money be the one in power that grants us what we want. We can grant ourselves our deepest needs. It's like we're our own fairy godmothers with our own wands and we can train ourselves, we can teach ourselves, we can unlearn that we don't have the power to validate ourselves. I like that. And I'd like to use my own brain as a case study and maybe you can speak to what's going on here. So I've been working a lot on my story and that idea of safety and digging deeper as to how I feel about money and the different models. You also talked in your own Facebook group about the story of the damsel in distress. And you asked me to think about my own reflections about money. So my mom had a uh, a fascinating career. We traveled a lot. She worked in international trade and there was a lot of abundance in our lives. And then my dad read me lots of mythology when I was young, right? So very interesting, like a, a mix of patterns there. And then we came from, uh, we fled a communist country. 
And so I, I've been reflecting just like probably any woman who listens to us, there, there were periods of my life where I would be stuck in my head and then reliving my past over and over and just analyzing things. And this person said this, and this must mean that and blah, blah, blah. So I've been on this journey of trying to working on healing my past, first of all, and on my mirror, I wrote down, you know, forgiveness, release, um, let go of resentment. And I feel like I've made tons of progress in that regard. So there's been this journey of healing the past. Then there's been this journey also of enjoying the present more. So I go on a lot of walks. I've done EMDR. I've done some tapping. And so acknowledging the past while also thinking you know, self-love language, right? These EFT scripts have acknowledging the past. And then I, I still love and honor myself through that. And then talking about the future as well. I've been doing some vision casting through imagery. So the whole idea of safety, what I've been working on is just reminding myself I am safe. I am safe right now in my body. I'm safe in my home. I'm safe in my relationship. I am safe in my brain. <laughs> my brain is my friend. There are, and I am not alone. I can always pray to God when, if I can't find the, the answers in the physical world, that presence is there. I can ask, I can ask, please help me find X, Y, Z. Please help me feel XYZ. And so what does that look like in practice is in the mornings, I used to wake up and that was after my father's death, I it was a very hard period, because the first thing I would wake up about is, you know, think about death and think about negative things and think about how my business would plummet to the ground, because I don't have the energy to show up and all my efforts in vain, everything crumbling, right. But I did start tapping into actually, I used quite a bit of tapping at that time. And I really started working on restructuring that inner story. So I am that work in progress. This is where I'm at right now, but I'm trying and I'm, and I want to bring this into very actionable steps for women, right? Like what can they do with this information today? So this is my story is that I make taking more and more time to have self-affirming dialogues and, and my clients will be familiar with, you know, we talk about audio tracks, we talk about soundtracks, we talk about what we want. And so releasing, forgiving the past and then scripting a new story. So that's where I am, Deborah, trying to, to have more safe stories and realizing I'm safe in my body right now, right this moment. So what are you hearing and what can other women learn from, from this story and what can they take to apply in their own lives to feel wealthier today, to feel lighter today, more joyful, more open to receiving more open to having peace and ease and flow in their lives. I love all of the modalities that you've mentioned. Uh, let's start with trying. Eliminate the word trying. When we tell our subconscious brain, I'm trying to X, Y, Z, your subconscious brain says, yeah, but you're not. So I'm trying to write a new story. Just eliminate trying. I'm writing a new story. And immediately you're in the present. So I am fill in the blank. I am it are the two most powerful words in any language. So that's that's one thought is to eliminate the word trying because trying uh, contains within it the valence of struggle. I'm trying it right. It contains that I'm doing my best and I'm not there yet. And rather than 
re-invoking, reiterating this sense of lack, which trying contains, we talk about a trying circumstance, right? It, it contains the, the energy of challenge and struggle. Just eliminate that and just go straight to the thing that you're doing, right? Because you're doing the thing. You're not trying to rewrite your money story. You're actually doing it right now in this moment. So I am fill in the blank with uh, things that are in the, we call them gerunds, verb ing, because that tells your brain it's happening right now. And your brain can't tell the difference between the reality of the present moment or the reality of your imagination, past or future. So you might as well just live the life that you want to live because your brain is going to follow. So that was one thing that you said. I love affirmations. I love mantra. Mantra means mind track. And our minds can get into a rut or they can get into a groove. So you've got to wake up and be deliberate and intentional about what are the thoughts that you're thinking. One of the ways that I get access to that in my own experience and also that I help my clients get access in their experience is through the body. Just becoming super sensitive. What am I feeling right now? And when we move our mind from analyzing and figuring it out and overthinking and over-researching, because the mind likes to do that. So let the mind do what it likes to do, right? We don't, we don't want to take away from the mind what it loves to do, but the mind really wants a bone to chew on because that's what the mind does. It loves solving problems. So it's going to look for problems to solve. And if there aren't any, it's going to create some so that it has some problems to solve because that delights it. So know that about your mind. Know that's the condition of the mind. It loves chewing on a bone. So you want to give your mind something to focus on. A mantra you know, whether it's, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh, it's not going to work. Oh, I'm late. Oh, whatever it is. Like if that's what you repeat, unfortunately, that's what you create. So be conscious of that. I recognized at, at some point in my past, I used to say, oh my God, I'm such an idiot. Oh, I'm such a loser. And like this was just my refrain. And I had to recognize how damning I was to myself, the way I was talking to myself. So listen to what it is that you're filling your mind with and fill it with something else. So I use mantra a lot. I chant a lot. Uh, and I'm very conscious of what, what are the lyrics? What are the books I read? What are the movies I watch? What are the environments? What am I letting into my mind? Because it's feeding me and it's literally creating me. So when you're using affirmation, everything is an affirmation. You know, if I say I'm late, I immediately go, no, I have plenty of time. We know brain has negativity bias. So for every one negative thing, five positives. And in the beginning, you're just going to feel like you're going through the motions. But over time, you will train yourself to recognize I can shift this. What else is possible? I'm late. Well, maybe Maybe you're right on time. Maybe you're early. Maybe you're on your time. Maybe the other person's also late, in which case you're going to get there before they do. You know, maybe the fact that you're late, late in air quotes, helped you avoid, you know, a, an accident, right? You, you have no idea because you can't see the bigger picture. So what else is possible? Five positive things for everyone negative. And mantra, uh, positive affirmation, super, super valuable. Um, you also mentioned visualization. It's important to put you in the visualization. So often people visualize 
having a lot of money, but it's very abstract. And it's going to be more helpful to you because we think in pictures. We think in pictures and emotion. We, we experience feeling the deepest neural connection through imagery and through emotion, not through thinking. So when you visualize, see yourself at the five-star resort, getting an amazing massage, sitting by the pool, reading your book with some you know, very wonderful server bringing you wonderful food. See yourself at your dream vacation. See yourself in the kitchen of your dream home. See you and your kids in, in the most ideal, yummy, connected relationship with each other. Put yourself in the scene enjoying the thing that hasn't happened yet as if it has already happened because your brain will then take steps to ensure that it does. And most of the time when visualization doesn't work, it's because we haven't put ourselves in the scene. We, we see the scene of a lot of money, but we're not in it. So we're still unconsciously separate from it. So those are, those are three great ways to do it. Um, visualization, mantra, and um, affirmation. Uh, you also mentioned tapping, which is a very powerful modality that I love to use because it will literally calm down the amygdala, the part of the brain that goes into fight or flight, the part of the brain that's trained to shut us down when we perceive that we're being threatened. And our own power threatens us because it might disappoint somebody, it might intimidate somebody, it, we might be too much, we might be too loud. And we're so afraid of that because we might get kicked out of the tribe, we might get kicked out of the company, we might get kicked out of the family. So we're wired to be afraid of our power. How I help people using tapping besides all the scripts that are going around the internet that say I unconditionally love and appreciate myself, is I actually incorporate shadow work and I incorporate the body. So I will start with the present moment, not loving and lighting all over everything, but oh, I'm feeling really frustrated right now. I'm feeling really anxious right now. I can barely breathe right now. That guy is such a douchebag or whatever. Like I will just say whatever I need to say that it, it, like I need to tap, I need to rant, I need to be angry, I need to be judgy, I need to be bitchy, I need to just rant and let it out because we're so conditioned to not let it out. And if you just internalize it, it's going to show up as disease, it's going to show up as pain, it's going to come out sideways when you didn't mean it to. So I'll go right into the pain. I'll go right into the part of my body that feels like I can't breathe, my stomach is in a knot, I'm so angry right now, I don't know what to do with myself, you know, and getting all judgy about that person. And then after a moment, it will calm down. So that's a really important piece of the tapping is to incorporate what feels true for you, what you've never been allowed to say, the anger you've never been allowed to express, the critical nature that you have, the judgy nature that you have that you've never given yourself permission to express. You got to give yourself permission to express it so that it stops running you 
and you stop resisting this part of you that doesn't want to be bitchy or doesn't want to be judgmental or doesn't want to be selfish or doesn't want to be greedy, you've, you've got to make peace with all these aspects of you so that you can fully be you. So incorporate that into your tapping too. Deborah, I wish we could continue talking for hours and hours. I think, well, I'll have to ask you to come back for another episode. I know you are joining us for a summit on flow and ease and receiving in a couple of months. And I'm so excited to release this podcast episode in a couple of weeks. So as we wrap up, I want to thank you for all your wisdom and ask, we'll put this in the show notes, of course, where can people find out more? And I would say if this is all new to you, because we covered so much, have fun with it open to the messages that are in this interview, how it's going to change your consciousness of money and just open yourself to where it will take you. So Deborah, as we wrap up, where can people find more of you? There is a free Facebook group that I run that's called the Anatomy of Money Academy, where we talk about all things money, wealth consciousness, how to operate your business and your life from the divine feminine. And there's also a free book that you can download in that community. It's called Turn on Your Tap, Your Guide to Effortless Flow, Ease, and Abundance. And there are a couple of tapping scripts in there that are specifically designed to address resistance, help you move through resistance so that you can become a great receiver. Wonderful. And obviously you have your website and you have other spaces. I know you're, you're a guest on so many more podcasts, so people can easily find you. So thank you so much for your time today. I will see you backstage in just a moment. And, and again, I'm so grateful for your wisdom. Thanks so much for letting me share with your community. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now make sure to review the show notes for any information we shared today, either about our guests or from myself. And then if you're ready to take action and turn working motherhood overwhelm into your greatest advantage, then head on over to our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash pros and babes. Again, info in the show notes. Make sure to get the support you need to succeed in family and career and be the first to know about new live networking events and training. And of course, connect with other moms who understand exactly what you're going through as a mom with a demanding career. If you're getting value from the show, I would be so grateful if you left us a review so we can reach more moms like you, moms in corporate, competitive and STEM careers who should never be alone with a crushing overwhelm of trying to balance family and career life. See you next time. Thank you.